Welcome once again, my friends, to Open Mind UFO Radio. I am your host, Alejandro Rojas, and I am here with Senior Jason McClellan. I am here, Alejandro. Yep, Senior Jason is uh, an avid burrito eater, and I have dubbed him a fellow Mexican. I am absolutely a burrito enthusiast. Thank you for pointing that out. Yeah, well, I, I haven't told the uh, audience that uh, in the past, I don't think, and I think it was... I'm pretty sure you have, know. but... Uh, oh, really? But I love burritos, so we can talk about burritos again. Uh, well, anybody keeping score can write that in there. Jason McClellan notes. Oh, there's, there's, there's about Jason. There's someone out there who will, will point it out to us. They'll say, on April 15th, Alejandro mentioned Jason's love for burritos. <laughs> yeah. I brought Jason a burrito. What's his favorite type? <laughs> All right, enough about burritos. Let's talk about UFOs. And there has been not a whole lot of UFO news uh, in the headlines, actually. I think this has been kind of the least amount of news the last couple of weeks uh, around the world on UFOs. But there's been a little bit out there. So uh, what story in the past week did you want to discuss, my friend? Well, you're absolutely right. It's been kind of a dry spell for for any uh, great UFO stories, great UFO videos, you know, there's always stuff out there. But uh, because of that, the story I'm going to mention this week is not a UFO story, but more of one of my favorite topics, astrobiology, talking about looking for extraterrestrial life. So uh, one of my favorite little robots, the Curiosity rover on Mars, NASA's rover, uh they just announced that more signs have come out, thanks to Curiosity, that Mars had an extremely wet past, and there's still substantial water there. So what they what they were able to do with Curiosity was Curiosity has all sorts of instruments on its cool little robot body, but one in particular is the uh, the sample analysis at Mars or SAM instrument that has a bunch of different instruments on this instrument. What it did is it took some of the, the dirt samples that it scooped up, heated it up, and uh, was able to check out the different uh, molecules and isotopes and everything uh, in the soil. And they were able to determine that there's substantial water there. So one of the – there were actually five papers published about um, Curiosity's findings um, just in the last week in the journal Science. And one of the lead authors of one of these papers explained that uh, – that when we send people to Mars, they could scoop up soil anywhere on the surface, heat it up a bit, and obtain water. And that's really cool for future uh, colonies on Mars, which are coming soon. She also explained that about 2% of the soil on the surface of Mars is made up of water. And that's that's enormous. So they're, they're thinking that it's pretty widespread across the planet. And so it's just another indication that 
in my mind and in the mind of some scientists that uh, you know there's still a chance to find life there. And as I've stated time and time again, I believe the best place for life on Mars is subterranean, and uh, I think we'll find that eventually. But this news is, is good because there were a lot of headlines just the week before about how uh, NASA announced the levels on, uh, the, of methane on Mars are insignificant they thought before that they would find substantial methane because previous readings from orbit had indicated that. But with Curiosity's latest readings, those uh, those weren't uh, the levels they found. So there were lots of headlines saying that the, the hopes of finding life on Mars had been crushed, which is an overstatement. But um, then this news about water, I think, got people excited again. So. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm all for the robot missions and everything, but I think we really need human exploration on the planet because they're, they're, it doesn't matter if they find a certain level of, of methane or find a certain amount of water. They're still going to say, oh, well, that, that doesn't mean anything or we can't be sure or that might not be the case on the planet right now or our instruments may have malfunctioned. There's always going to be an excuse. So I think until we get there in person and uh, can substantiate what the robots are telling us, we won't know for sure. But I know it's there, Alejandro. I know it's there. Well, I'm glad you have such confidence. But yeah, it is kind of cool that we got this news so soon after the methane thing because it's just, you know, so many indicators were there that there was a lot of methane, uh, which would have meant there's probably living life there, but there wasn't the methane. People were bummed out. But this water thing is a really big deal for life and for, yeah, exploration. So pretty cool. People are real happy about it. I'm happy about it. Are you happy? Did you jump up for joy? No, I didn't. But uh, like uh, at the end of the Cardinals game, were you jumping up and down? No, not like that. But, uh, yeah, you know, I, I it was – I'm glad – just like you said, it's it's good to have that right after the – the previous announcement of this disappointing news about methane because really the media was was pushing that hard and was saying that, uh, it, like scientists, uh, their dreams had been crushed and there was no chance of life. I mean, that's that's really how they were they were uh, announcing it after that, that came out, which wasn't the case. But, uh, yeah, then to turn around and say water is widespread on Mars, it's, it's, again, this back and forth thing we see in science as we see in every other area of life, but uh, yeah, I think it's good news for astrobiology as a whole, and we're going to find concrete proof of extraterrestrial life soon, my friend. That would be exciting, and it seems to be around the corner, which leads me to my story, um, actually, because, uh, yeah, again, this isn't so much UFO-related. There's really kind of just, I think we, we posted one UFO story that did pretty good from Germany, but I'm pretty sure that was just a banner behind an airplane, and People can go take a look and see what they think, but that I, I think that's pretty been substantiated. But what is exciting is just that this survey com- company called Servata got a hold of us about um, this survey they they did looking at the relation of re- religious affiliation and how it relates to extraterrestrial belief. And uh, I think their findings were pretty interesting. They found that atheists and agnostics are seventy six percent more likely to believe in extraterrestrial life. And I think that intuitively, I think some people would agree with that or find that intuitive. And then on one end, it's not because 
atheists, you know, are typically the skeptics. Skeptics are certainly um, a spouse and, and challenge people about belief in God and, and are typically uh, skeptical about religion as well as the paranormal. So I wasn't so sure it would come out so much uh, on this side, but it did show, you know, the agnostics and the atheists were a lot higher and their belief in extraterrestrials, and then religions had a little bit more of an issue, which is also something people talk about probably being the case, and it was good that they broke it out to kind of demonstrate that. So, for instance, they found atheists and agnostics, 55% believed in the existence of extraterrestrial intelligence, and that was the question, um, whereas 30% was not sure, 15% said no, and then the difference can be quite Drastic. So if we look at Christians, 32% believe in extraterrestrial life. Uh, 35% say they're not sure. So they're not sure is similar, but 33% said no. They don't think there is extraterrestrial intelligence out there. So um, pretty interesting findings. It was really cool that they talked to us about it. We talked to them more about why they did the survey and uh, hit some of the numbers. And when I drilled down in the numbers, this is another one that I thought is really interesting, and I think it's telling for the future of uh, this field and um, kind of people's interest in the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. When it came to the age groups, there were big differences. So when it came to the 13 to 17-year-olds, 58% said they believed in extraterrestrial intelligence. Only 11% said no. And 31% were unsure. When it came to the 40-plus category, only 20% said they believed, um, 30% said they did not, and then 51% said they were unsure. So a lot more in this group saying they're unsure, but a lot more also saying no. And it was interesting that uh, you know the 13- to 17-year-olds were so much more positive about the, the idea, which I think makes sense anecdotally. I think we've heard that, but... Uh, it's just interesting to see the difference laid out in a graph here. And they did talk to 6,000 people, which is a lot of people. Um, in comparison, the recent uh, poll done by Huffington Post had about 1,000 participants. So, um, of course, the more participants, they, the more accuracy. So, very interesting. It is interesting. I think they did a good job with... Uh with separating it out the way they did. I mean, we, we see a lot of polls, and polls have touched on religion before, but, but the way they did it was pretty cool. But this has been a hot topic for a while now, and but it seems to have a, a minor resurgence right now, too, because just uh, a week or so ago, there was a professor who released a, a book titled Science, Religion, and the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. And then, of course, there was the uh, the guest on this show, uh, what was it, last week? Talking about uh, UFOs in the Bible, um, or extraterrestrials in the Bible, with Reverend Michael Carter. So, you know, this is a, a popular issue, and uh, it's gone up and down, but certainly not not new in its uh, popularity. But I'm glad to see polls addressing the the religious thing more too, because a lot of people are interested in both the the religious a aspect of this topic as well as the the unknown. So. Good for those guys, and we've got a cool video um, of you interviewing the guy who did the poll, right? Right, yeah. So that's online, and that's in our story um, that people can see at openminds.com.
TV. Thank you once again for joining us and bringing us the great news. It's always my pleasure, friend. All right, so that's it for the news. Um, we will go ahead and talk to our guest today, who is Antonio Paris. And Antonio, he runs the Aerial Phenomena Investigations Group. They focus on UFOs in very nuts and bolts type of way. He's got a really interesting background. So uh, it's going to be really interesting to see what he has to say about how he investigates. And uh, I'll have him go into his background because he's done a lot of stuff, and I don't want to misquote anything. So uh, I think people will find this really interesting. So let's go ahead and hear what Antonio has to say. I am very happy to have on the phone with me Antonio Perez. How are you? Hey, Alejandro. I'm doing pretty good. Well, cool. So you run the Aerial Phenomena Investigations, and uh, you've been a busy guy. So when did uh, you you organize this group and, and get this together? Um, officially, it'll be two years uh, coming up here in November, uh, but the um, I guess the uh, the vision uh, for it probably began about two, maybe three or four years ago, uh, while I was in grad school. Mm-hmm. And tell me a little bit about your background, because you have a pretty impressive background, your education and, and what you do for a living. Yeah, sure. So uh, pretty much my military career for about ten years was was centered on military intelligence. Um, and in that field, we officers kind of have a specialty, and for me, it was counterintelligence, and that would that kind of encompassed uh, investigating allegations of espionage and and terrorism. So I did that for about ten years, and came back to D.C. and started working for the Department of Defense as a special agent, and also doing the same thing: counterintelligence, uh, counterespionage, terrorism investigations. And about three or four years later, I decided to go into the uh, corporate sector as a defense contractor, uh, working for various companies, including Science Applications International and Booz Allen Hamilton. And pretty much towards the middle of my career as a defense contractor, I decided to go to graduate school and study something that was space-related because uh, I've always been interested in space, um, astrophysics, planetary science, and received my master's degrees in planetary science. Mm-hmm. And so when was it that you got uh, interested in the UFO phenomenon? I think as a child, I was always interested in UFOs, you know, um, extraterrestrial life and things out there, but it wasn't really towards my uh, end of graduate school when I was studying, you know, astrobiology and things like that, that I really wanted to investigate UFOs. So I said, hey, this is probably a good idea if I converge uh, my two backgrounds, that of an investigator and my education, and kind of uh, approach the phenomena from a kind of a Sherlock Holmes perspective, not necessarily looking at all the stories and things like that, but uh, looking at the phenomena from a nuts and bolts perspective. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of people get involved with this because they have their own sighting or experience. Um, did have you had that sort of thing happen to you? I have not. My my interest in, my interest in ufology just comes from, I guess, my background as an investigator, uh, as a fact finder, mm-hmm. and as well as my my interest in whether or not uh, two things: if extraterrestrial extraterrestrial life exists, and whether or not maybe some of those UFO reports uh, are being piloted by uh, extraterrestrials. Mm-hmm. 
So something I'm I'm assuming convinced you that UFOs were worthwhile investigating. That there was something to the phenomena. Um, what was it that convinced you of that? I think it was the personal stories. Uh, prior to organizing my organization, uh, for about a couple of years, I I attended local you know MUFON conferences, uh, other you know Virginia MUFON conferences and things like that, and listening to the stories that some of the witnesses talked about about their encounters was that sparked my interest and uh, as I started doing research for my book uh, these stories got better and and you know not necessarily more elaborate but um, I, I said to myself you know I understand that many of the reports are you know can be attributed to natural phenomena man-made objects etc but if we just take one percent of the thousands of reports that are being reported on an annual basis. Uh, there's something going on, and it, you know, and, and I think that's what sparked my interest. Is it was the stories that these compelling witnesses had to share, and the fact alone that it, it's happening worldwide and not necessarily just here in, in the United States. Mm-hmm. See, I came to this, I think, in a similar way that you have, in that um, you know I was kind of more science oriented uh, and. When I got involved with MUFON, it was like, well, I want to hear, you know, some of these eyewitness uh, reports to see how credible these people sound, how sure. capable these people are of, of discerning what they're seeing. And I was surprised at the high level of credibility of some of these people and just how convincing some of them were. Have you found that as well? I did. Um, and, you know, of the investigations we've conducted, we've had our handful of, of credible witnesses you know we're talking about pilots uh military uh, officers police officers uh doctors and then uh and in one case we even had a um uh a uh a partner from IBM who recently witnessed a black triangle so just looking at, at the handful of, of the witnesses that we've looked at and and you know invest you know I'm trained in you know in interviews and, and those things like that uh, I didn't think they were lying. I think since they sincerely saw something, uh, what that something is, that's a whole different story now. But when I have credible witnesses approaching us and saying, hey, Antonio, I don't know what I saw, but I, I know it was uh, something that's probably not ours. That's what really drives me to continue these type of uh, investigations. Mm-hmm. So the Black Triangle, for example, that's a great one because you, you said you have a credible witness here who saw a black triangle. What were the characteristics of of that object? Well, so this particular case was here in Maryland, uh, up by um, not too far from Washington D.C. And according to the witness, he was driving, and he saw these strange red lights along the road that uh, he claimed compelled him to stop. So he got out of the car and saw this black triangle again, about the size of a football field, completely silent, and just kind of hovered and moved around kind of along the field and he said it moved with intent like a purpose as if it was reconning or 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 scanning the area and it gently flew over him and just continued on towards washington dc so the two things that are really kind of stand out for me for this case is a you know what is this large you know aircraft or whatever we call it spacecraft hovering over washington you know this is a restricted airspace uh, here I have a credible witness, and then you know when I ask them questions like, "Hey, 
you know, why didn't you pull out your iPhone or your camera or things like that? And he says he, he, he was just, he couldn't move. You know, he was just amazed that it, that if he felt he would have gone to the car uh, to retrieve a camera, uh, he probably would have lost sight of it or something. And um, so I believe the witness. And uh, unfortunately, you know, that's the most we can do is interview the witness, visit the, loca- visit the location, mm-hmm. and, and uh, get as much detail as possible, correlate that data with other Black Triangle cases and hopefully in the future come up with some consensus of what we think it might be. Mm-hmm. Now, Black Triangle is a fairly common phenomenon, and there have been a lot of credible sightings. What are your ideas behind these Black Triangles? Do you believe perhaps they are um, Black projects? I, I would say, you know, looking at the characteristics, that they're most likely, most, and that's my opinion, most likely some type of uh, man-made object, classified R&D projects, um, you know, here in Maryland alone, we, we did a research on man-made objects, and there are about 1,500 defense contractors in this area alone, and all competing for for contracts regarding drones, uh, surveillance aircraft, and things like that. And, you know, we get a lot of black triangle cases here, from small black triangles to large ones, uh, to ones that make, you know, propulsion sounds, to ones that are silent. So I can... I can probably say that most of it is, is more than likely R&D projects going on in the area. Um, and then there are some reports where the characteristics kind of defy the laws of physics and what we know of aircraft characteristics, you know, moving at, uh, you know, speed, you know, speeds that are just incredibly large, uh, making right triangle uh, maneuvers and things like that. So that, I don't know what it is, but I can't jump that line and lean towards saying it's extraterrestrial when we have no proof otherwise. Mm-hmm. Right. So, open question still. Um, so, when it comes to the extraterrestrial hypothesis, how do you feel about that? My my personal belief, you know, you know, and and I'm now coming from a planetary science angle, is that, um, you know, space is huge, universe is huge, and for a another civilization to achieve interstellar travel at enormous speeds, uh, that would have to travel millions of light years uh, just to reach Earth is 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 really far-fetched. I believe there is a phenomena going on, and but I, I think the phenomena is, you know, we think of extraterrestrials and these metallic things. Uh, I think a lot of that is, is science fiction and imagination. That's not to say that uh, perhaps in the past we might have been visited, uh, although the proof is lacking, uh, you know, for that theory itself. Um, but, you know, I'm entertaining other theories. There's theories that they might be traveling, you know, using uh, wormholes, interdimensional, you know, travel, things like that. Uh, but still, you know, Alejandro, when we look at the phenomena, sit back and ask yourself, is there proof? You know, and I like to use the word beyond a reasonable doubt. You know, can you convince a jury that that some of these are extraterrestrial? And that's what I'm looking for. Um uh, you know, we get thousands and thousands of reports and of different types of flying saucers, cigar-shaped objects, and things like that. I think, uh, though, witness, you know, witness testimony is very, very. Uh, you have to be careful with those kinds of things because uh, the witness, you know, witness testimony is. I can't really take that for you know for granted. A lot of these are exaggerated sketches and things like that. Um, but you have to look at it from a 
a larger perspective. You know, look at the universe, how huge it is. Uh, look at the probabilities of life on another planet and and whether or not those civilizations have reached uh, interstellar travel capabilities. That's the way I look at it. Um, maybe one or two of the reports that we have, you know, investigated, I kind of look at them and say, maybe it's extraterrestrial, but uh, I'm not in the business of maybes and believing. Uh, I'm in the business of, of trying to find that proof. Mm-hmm. And when you said, you know, we need the proof, um, do you feel then that, or the evidence to convince a jury, which is kind of separate, really, <laughs> proof and evidence, uh, and that's where the, the scientific-minded people kind of uh, uh, point out and uh, criticize uh, this field a bit. But sure. then when it comes to the jury, let's say, do you think there is enough to convince a jury of, an extraterrestrial visitation scenario? I don't think there is, um, mm -hmm. because if you look, first, the reason that uh, ufology is not really taken seriously by academia, scientific communities, and things like that is because, in my personal opinion, is that it's just been inundated and swamped with uh, conspiracies, uh, uh, things that really have nothing to do with ufology, um, uh, cover-ups, alleged top-secret meetings with aliens, you know, so many things have inundated the the topic that uh, it's become a laughing stock, really, when you talk about it. Um, mm -hmm. And so, even bringing up the word UFOs, uh, you get the giggle factor, you know, no matter where you go. So, a we need to clean that up, and that's one of my goals. Two, when we're looking at you know uh, any type of proof to convince a jury, I think there's doubt, you know, uh, in in whatever you try to bring, you know. You look at all the UFO conferences we had in the last couple of years, um, and for every believer that's out there, there's a skeptic and a non-believer that can debate, you know, just as equally as we can uh, for the ET hypothesis. I don't think there's um, physical, actual proof to convince a jury, and I think that most of the reports and stories out there uh, are not enough to convince convince a jury. Mm-hmm. Now I mean, that's, it's enough to convince a lot of us out here, you know, and right. believers, uh, but not enough. Right. So then, and that's a pretty high bar. But a it lower is. bar is, which is still a challenge, actually, is convincing, let's say, a jury that there is something to the UFO phenomena um, behind, besides just misidentification of of mundane objects. Um, do you sure. feel there's enough for that? Do you think that that I, I think it is. And I'll give you a good example. Last week I spoke at the National Capital Skeptics uh, meeting. So that was a tough crowd, you know, right. scientists, doctors, and things like that. And they asked the same question. And I think I made some believers out of them. You know, I showed them the data. And I said, okay, we just have 10,000 reports a year. And 1% of that is is unidentified, truly unidentified cases, credible witnesses, uh, multiple witnesses, daytime sightings, uh, you know, photographic or video evidence and things like that. And you multiply that by that 30 or 40 years of, you know, of these reports, um, something is happening. And and the phenomena, you know, is, is real as it can get. And and we, you know, we live in a, in a I guess, in a... You know, in an age where we just can't explain these things, um, and I, I think I mentioned it before, you know, aircraft moving, 
uh, at incredible speeds and making turns that defy the laws of gravity, you know, instantly will kill a pilot no matter what. Uh, and I think just speaking to these skeptics alone, uh, their eyes kind of opened up a bit. And I, I'm pretty sure I felt confident that I convinced a couple of people out there that uh, something's going on there. I, I necessarily don't think they believed it was extraterrestrial, but they believed that it was something that, that, that was not man-made. Mm-hmm. Now, given this, given what we've talked about and uh, kind of what you, you've mentioned in your beliefs that, uh, you know, we can demonstrate a phenomena, uh, maybe not necessarily the cause of the phenomena, a lot of people in this field will stick to, and let's take the citizen's hearing, for example, he wanted to make sure that that was about uh, the reality, in his point of view, of the visitation of extraterrestrials. Um, do you think it's damaging when people go that far? I think it is. And and that's a kind of, you know, there's a lot of organizations out there that kind of study this UFO. They all have their different agendas and their own, uh, I guess, vision on how to pursue that agenda. Um, and to and to lean forward and say that extraterrestrial visitation is indeed happening or happened, and that the government, you know, is 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 uh, is in a huge conspiracy of hiding this stuff, I think that's a little too far. Um, I think if I was in somebody else's shoes, I would bring the attention that hey, a lot of this stuff is unidentified. Um, let's get together. Let's let's, uh, let's go back to 56 years ago, where scientists and the government agencies got together and looked at this from like a national security perspective, I guess, um, and and I guess educate the public that there it is a phenomenon. We can't say that you know thousands of people are, that are reporting these things are crazy. They're seeing things out there, and but I'm I'm you know, as an investigator, as a credentialed investigator. Um, I would not go that far unless I had actual physical proof. And I don't mean, you know, alleged, you know, documents that were, you know, uh, uncovered or or deathbed confessions and things like that. Um, I'm talking about hard, uh, hard, you know, physical proof, verifiable proof. Um, and maybe maybe if I had that, I'd, I'd go forward. See, I, what it, you're making me think of when you mentioned this, too, is... Um... You know, you anybody has to build a case. So those sure. who believe that the, this is extraterrestrial in nature, even a scientist who believes in what they've uh, their theory has to build a case. Or let's say, um, in a court, let's say we all know we all believe that um, we all let's say we all know it was O.J. Simpson and and he did it. Or you believe that you still have to build your case, or sure. else even a murderer can get off if you don't build your case. And and it feels like some people kind of um, feel like they don't have to build a case anymore. They're, it's not their responsibility to build a case. And so, but unfortunately, then people aren't looking for evidence to build this case. And how is someone supposed to believe their point of view if, if they're not looking for that? Well, I think I think the problem with a lot of, pe- I guess, you know, researchers and ufologists and things like that is... They're, they're centered on on trying to shape people to believe in their cause. So, you know, you have all these big organizations, uh, you know, they want the uh, citizens' disclosure and things like that. You get all these people together, 
ex-senators, the media, whatever, and um, and they're really more focused on trying to build a picture of this belief system that it is going out there. And you're right, they're not really, it's not convincing. Um, and I think the difference between, I guess, you know, my team, Aerial Phenomena, and the you know others out there, is that we're not we're not in the business of trying to make people believe or disbelieve. We're not in the business of of, of you know trying to share stories that you know which one's the better or the other or compete. Um, we're just this little organization uh, looking for that hard physical proof, and and we do that you know in various ways. But that's that's our goal. We're not out there going to these conferences and, and and trying to share stories to try to build an audience to believe. That's not what we do. Uh, we're kind of just this you know little tiny bit of the puzzle uh, of trying to find that physical proof. And who knows, in the future, if we do find that proof, then we can move towards that direction on um, disclosure and things like that. Mm-hmm. Now, i got to say, because uh, I want to ask a couple more questions, maybe a little tougher questions, but... Um, sure. Because, you know, I really like this perspective. I, I feel similarly, um, but this is a difficult one then that a lot of people will ask, well, what about alien abduction? And um, Yeah, alien abductions is, is something we rarely do, and I'll tell you that for several reasons. We do them once in a while, um, but when I started this and I started talking to alleged abductees, um, I noticed... You know, I'm not a mental health professional. I'm not a psychologist. And just at least from my end, the people that I've interviewed are, are I think they need some type of, some type of, you know, mental health help, you know, mental health mm-hmm. help. Um, and that's, I don't do that. I'm not qualified <laughs> to do that. And some cases are better than others. I've sat down with alleged abductees that I, I really believe they, something happened to them. They went through some type of experience. But... Um, that's that's not my job, you know, to listen to these guys. You know, they bring no proof to the table when it comes, to, you know, uh, uh, you know, to the investigative process. They come with stories. Um, uh, some of them more believable than others, but that's not what we do. Um, there are a lot of organizations out there, and local ones that do that kind of stuff. So what we do is we take their stories. Uh, if they can provide us a sketch of what they believe they saw and things like that. And what I like to do is I network with with uh, specialists in this area that do that kind of stuff um, because they're they're more uh, I guess inclined to do those type of investigations. But because we're into a nuts and bolts uh, investigations perspective, uh, these witnesses really never bring anything to the table other than a story. Uh, so that's why we we kind of refrain from doing alien abductions. Mm-hmm. And. I mean that may sound kind of cool to some people, but I think, uh, but what you're saying, which makes sense to me, is that you know, these people need professional help, um, sure, and they Listen, deserve professional help. But when yeah. it comes to what you're doing, you're looking for evidence, and uh, that's really the focus of your organization. When, when, Alejandro, when I when I think of alien abductions, I I look at it from I guess a a uh, a, a a crime, a police perspective. If, if somebody's been abducted you know, beyond their free will, uh, subjected to mutilations, uh, nightmares, or whatever. Those are things that that people beyond the scope of my profession should be should be dealing with. And I always tell somebody, I've had them, Alejandro, I have people call me at 2 o'clock in the morning, Antonio, I'm about to be abducted to somebody in my room. 
uh, I tell them, call the police, you know, call your doctor, do something. There's nothing, you know, I can do. Um, if these people are really, really, really believe that something's happening to them, um, that is way beyond the scope, not only myself, but most uh, UFO investigators. And for for people to kind of look at, you know, venture down that road and they're not medically qualified, uh, that, that, that to me is a red line. See, I agree with you because I feel similarly, and, and I, I, so I often refer people to when I was in Colorado, which is when I did most of that kind of work, to um, Dr. Leo Sprinkle. He's, uh, you know, a, a doctor in psychology. He's a psychiatrist. Sure. He, he's trained. And unfortunately, in this field, there are a lot of people who are not trained in this area that are doing the work. And some of the big names, which I won't mention just yet. Sure. And uh, I've actually got um, some uh, education background in, in psychology, sure. and I know that what a, an untrained person can do a lot of damage, and I know a lot of these people have done and are doing a lot of damage. Um, it's kind of it's kind of like you know I look at this subject of, of abductions almost like hypnosis. You know, it's it's very dangerous. You know, and you know, there's unfortunately a lot of UFO investigators out there that want to do it all. They want to do the hypnosis. They want to do the, the field investigations. They want to do the alien abductions. And they're not necessarily qualified to do all that kind of stuff. Um, so here at API, we want to stick to just one little piece of the puzzle. And that's, uh, you know, reportings of nuts and bolts things, things that we can tangibly investigate and that we're qualified to investigate. And even though I have a, you know, we have Ray on my team who just got his master's in psychology, even he, he'll he tell you he's not qualified to study this phenomena because he's not a, medical, he's not a licensed doctor, he, you know, and he sat down with some of these um, uh, alleged abductees, you know, and he's backed off a bit because they're calling him at 3 o'clock in the morning, they want to injure themselves, he's gotten emails about suicide, uh, and he called the police. You know, I, he does the right thing. He tells the witness, hey, I'm calling the police. Uh, you know, I'm not a doctor. And it's very dangerous to see a non-qualified ufologist um, not only interviewing these type of people, but kind of shaping them right. uh, to, to, to continue the process, to continue with their belief systems, to continue inviting them to UFO conferences and sharing the stories. I think that's dangerous. Yeah, I know uh, for a fact that some of the procedures these people use, and inadvertently, uh, I know because they mean they have the best uh, interests at heart, but uh, sure. they are doing a lot of the, the procedures they're using have been proven to do a lot of harm. Sure. Yes, I agree. So, okay, when you get uh, getting into kind of your book and kind of uh, what uh, your focus has been. You use mm -hmm. a term a lot, reviving ufology for the 21st century. Sure. Reviving kind of um, makes it sound like it's dead. <laughs> and um, is I, that I how would, you feel? Or, or I, I feel that that the the topic is is dead from from at least from a serious perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, a couple of years ago, while I was doing research for the book, I went Alejandro. You know, I went up to to Phoenix and just did a lot of research on my own. Invest, you know visiting these meetings and conferences, and I learned one thing, that UFOs, even though the word unidentified is thrown in there, is really now synonymous with alien spacecraft, etc. And, you know, 
and I go to these meetings and they talk about everything other than UFOs. We're talking about, uh, you know, CIA remote viewing programs, out-of-body experiences, the new word, exopolitics and exoconsciousness, conspiracies, all these things, which I call the black helicopter syndrome, uh, kind of shaped ufology now to a subject where it's not taken serious. Books on ufology are not found in the cult section of your bookstore and things like that. And so what I really wanted to do was kind of revive the subject back to a serious topic, a topic so that it's taken serious by the scientific community, uh, academia, and maybe even perhaps the government in the future. And so the main goal, at least the you know half the portion of my book, is what I call to drain the swamp, is to bring back uh, the seriousness of, of conducting UFOs. And I think the way that you want to do that is, first, is is get a team together of like-minded individuals. You know, uh, I've got everything from spacecraft engineers, rocket scientists, former detectives on my team, and things like that. Um, but they range from skeptics to believers and things like that. And slowly we want to drain the swamp of all this stuff that that gives ufology the giggle factor. And we do that by just, you know, A, looking at the phenomena from something tangible, a nuts and bolts perspective. Get rid of all that stuff I just talked about and look at UFO reports, um, have conferences that just deal with nuts and bolts investigations, uh, have podcasts that just deals with nuts and bolts investigations, um, you know, and kind of that's the that's the message where we're going to give out. I'm not saying that, you know, the Chupacabra and Bigfoot and all those things are not cool, you know, but those are other subjects that really have no bearing in, in this subject. So that's that's the goal, uh, and that's why I wrote the book. Mm-hmm. Which makes a lot of sense. I always, you know, um, MUFON was originally supposed to kind of essentially to be that, and Mm-hmm. It's difficult because these are a bunch of people who are volunteers working on their time off. And uh, when I was their spokesperson, I would have to answer questions as to why you do like what you're talking about. Why don't you focus on this? Why don't you focus on that? And the point was that allow others to do that, but there has to be someone there to to be looking at the nuts and bolts perspective. There has to be someone to be building the case. Yeah, directly. and yeah, and you know I was a former MUFON star team guy and assistant director here in Maryland. And it's not a bad organization. I really liked it. I joined it. Really good training. I enjoyed the handbook and things like that. But unfortunately, what I learned was that, uh, and I'm not, you know, this is not a general topic regarding all of MUFON, but at least locally, uh, the meetings were not, you know, they weren't scientific. Um, they weren't really what I was looking for forward to coming, you know, talk about, you know, CIA remote viewing, uh, exopolitics, things that really kind of steer away from MUFON's vision, you know, which is the scientific study of UFOs. Um, But I didn't see the science, and that's why I I left MUFON. Um, But I think I find interesting, you know, I think my message is getting out. Just next month will be, uh, it's our fourth time that a university has asked us to go talk to their students about ufology. Um, so I've been putting the message out to these kids in college. You know, what is ufology? What it isn't? What's wrong with it? Um, and looking at that phenomena. Yeah, that's really cool. And I think it comes down to um, 
Yeah, you know, and MUFON's defense, I know they've, they've grown so large, they kind of be, got to be the community for UFOs. Sure. And that's the struggle because uh, a lot of this field has lost, and I think it's kind of the uh, center of what we're talking about, discipline because yeah. and, and rigor because science is, is hard. Yeah. Um, forensic investigation is hard. And it, it's, it's a lot, a lot of work. Right. It's a lot of work. Yeah. A lot of work and discipline. And it, again, it kind of does seem like that's what we've lost. I think I think the reason, um, and I, I spoke to Jan, the new guy. I gave him a whole presentation uh, called MUFON Compass Check right before he came in. And it kind of was like, what's wrong with, you know, what was MUFON before, what it is now, and what he should do to shape it back, to recalibrate its compass. And I think the biggest problem is that when you look at MUFON, it really is 50 different little organizations. Each state right. has its own director, kind of their own mission, their own focus. Uh, and like you just said, you have all these little investigators kind of, uh, I call it the wilderness of mirrors. They, they go into these little rabbit holes and start chasing conspiracies and all these things. And, and they get away from the science part of, of, of investigating these things. I think the new guy, Jan... Uh, I think he took at least my presentation seriously, and I think that's his vision: is to bring it back together and 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 uh, recalibrate and and look at this phenomena now from a science perspective again. Mm-hmm. You say that you um, incorporate uh, skeptics into your group, and why do you think that's important? Well, it's just you know. I guess, you know, I'm looking out from an intelligence analysis perspective. You know, as an intelligence analyst, we have different people on the team that can bring, I guess, different opinions and different perspectives on how to shape a certain investigation. I didn't want a team of just believers, and I didn't want a team of just skeptics. I kind of wanted a little bit of both, and and that's how we, we, you know, for an investigative process, I think that makes it better for us to sit down look at reports, uh, uh, evaluate each other's opinions, and then shape the investigation that way. We didn't want, you know, if we have a full team of skeptics, that'll, you know, I think it'll shape the investigation in a biased fashion. And if I have a team just full of believers, I think that'll also skew the investigative process. So for these type of, I guess, organizations, it's really benefits to have different belief systems. Mm-hmm. And um, does it help keep you grounded? Oh yeah, de- mm-hmm. sure, definitely. You know, there are. You know, I'm not the smartest guy out there. There's, you know, there's guys on my team that are a lot smarter. And when I look at a report, and I start jumping off my chair, oh my god, this is great report here, great witness. Uh, look at this, you know, this this thing, whatever it is. And then I have a guy here next to me who's, you know, works on spacecraft. Uh, will come with a different opinion. He'll go, wait a minute, I think I know what that is. So it, there's checks and balances, which is pretty cool my team. So uh, we all have different expertise and, and different backgrounds, but put all together, uh, I think for checks and balances, it makes a good team. And, and, you know, it keeps each investigator from jumping to conclusions without input from the other. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, have you ran into any trouble? Because, like you've mentioned, conspiracies and how people get sure. are very hypersensitive when it comes to um, the government and intelligence. Um, have you yeah. had problems with people trusting you because of your background? Yeah, I get that a lot. You know, um, you know, every conference I go up there or every interview, people start 
looking at my background and I've, I've heard it all. You know, I'm a man in black. I'm a dis- disinformation agent. Uh, obviously, that's not true. You know, I, I grew up in a, in, a, in a family of values of, you know, serving your country was important. Uh, my dad served in the military, my brother. Uh, so I joined the military as well from, I guess, a patriot perspective. And choosing military intelligence wasn't my my uh, my personal uh, I guess choice. You know, I joined the military initially as an infantry officer, and after two three years of that, if you know the system, how it works. The uh, once you make lieutenant, uh, the uh, the branch chief is what they call them, start shaping you into what the army wants. And uh, at that point, the army said, "Okay, I think you'll make a good intelligence officer." And they sent me to all the schools and things like that. So that was kind of not my destiny, but I enjoyed it. And then coming to D.C., uh, I needed a job, honestly. I needed a job, and I saw a position for a special agent uh, that fit my military experience, and I applied for that. So, But as I told you earlier, I didn't want to make military intelligence and, and DOD my, I guess, my career. I just wanted it as a chapter of my book. And that's why I, I left. But I do think, I, I get that a lot. You know, Antonio has a top secret clearance. He works in D.C., he works at the Pentagon. He must know something. Why isn't he telling us? Is he part of the big conspiracy? And I think when people sit down with me one-to-one and they and they know who I am, they, they come to trust me as, as the latter. You know, this is a guy who who really wants to investigate UFOs. Mm-hmm. So do you think then from your perspective and the insight that you have, um, there is the government knows a lot more than it's saying on this topic. I I think maybe you know I can't say for, I can't say one hundred percent because if if the government um, well they did in the past you know obviously we know they investigated UFOs with Blue Book and all that stuff but if they're still investigating uh, even as recently I would not know because those things are highly compartmented um, and I obviously didn't have clearance to any of that stuff. So I'm not going to speculate and say, well, I know the government's hiding something. I I can't say that for sure because that's just speculation. Um, so if they are, you know, maybe they are. I don't know. Um, I would say if they are investigating this, it's probably from a national security perspective. Uh, but you have to look at not just the United States, France, uh, Great Britain, uh, South Africa, Australia. Um, they're all recently... And I think France still investigates UFO phenomena uh, for national security perspective. And really, they haven't, I guess, there's no information out there to suggest that they found anything. Um, And if they did, I don't think it would be a one-country conspiracy. I think if the United States did have something, or France or Great Britain, it would be an international conspiracy. That's just my perspective. Um, And something that huge, necessarily, you know, would have gotten out, you know, a long time ago. Uh, and then I'm not talking about death pet confessions and alleged, you know, MJ-12 documents and things like that. I'm talking about real, credible proof, hard proof, uh, witness testimony. You know, we're talking about on the news, Fox, you know, things like that. Uh, and not these, you know, all I hear is, well, my uncle's brother's cousin's sister works for the CIA and she saw UFO. That's the kind of stuff you hear these days. Mm-hmm. 
when you talk about reviving and you talked about the past um, and how some of this nuts and bolts of harder uh, investigation has gone away, who were some of the people you looked to as as uh, role models uh, of from the past in this field? Yeah, I kind of looked at old organizations like, uh, you know, NICAP, um, uh, Stanton Freeman, you know, I like him, I like his work, and things like that. Uh, Kufos, even the old MUFON, you know, I looked at their old investigations, and it was almost like, um, I don't know if you've seen crime sheets or, or police records, that's how they approach the, the, their investigations, uh, and that's that's what I want to kind of mimic, is go back to that really detective perspective. Mm-hmm. So I looked at all these organizations, even some of their websites, like NICAP, you know, are still alive, even though their organization is defunct now. But going back to the old school UFO type of investigations is uh, is what I kind of envision. Um, mm-hmm. But exploiting the technologies that we have today, you know, internet, uh, all these cool software and gadgets that we have now. Uh, but go back to the Sherlock Holmes kind of way of investigating this stuff. A skeptic might say some of those people that you've referenced or even, let's say, the Air Force with Project Blue Book, they had even more – they did that, and they had more resources, and they weren't able to draw many conclusions. What makes you feel like maybe you'll be able to um, go further than they might have? I think as population increases, and, and that's the reason I'm still kind of you know, moving forward with this, is you know, the populations increase. Everybody's walking out with cell phones. Um, the, the analytical tools are better now. Forensic software is better. Um, I think, I think there's hope. I think there's hope of maybe one day, uh, actually, you know, finding a really credible video or footage or photo or something and say, wow, we've done all the analysis, all the tools. Uh, this might be something here. Um, and I think, you know, we can still use the investigative processes that were used 30, 40 years ago, but I think, Today, you know, uh, it's, we just have a better opportunity now to continue, uh, not give up hope, um, because as I tell my my guys, this isn't about us; it's about helping witnesses, um, and that's what I want to do. I just want to continue, not give up, uh, uh, exploit the tools that we have at our disposal to try to figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then, when it comes to uh, investigations, where do you think? Uh, maybe it's a low-hanging fruit. Where's your focus? Where do you think that uh, the best place to possibly get some pay dirt would be? Wow, that's interesting, you know, because I look at the phenomena and and the, and the data, I can't come to a conclusion. You know, I can't say, I can't look at, uh, for example, a MUFON database and say, wow, California has 10,000 UFO reports and Maryland only has six. I can't. I can't say. Well, the aliens don't like you know Maryland. Uh, that's not the case. You know, Maryland has highly restricted airspace, less population. Uh, um, so we're not necessarily looking for pay dirt. You know, we're not saying, all right, let's go to New Mexico because I think that's where everything's happening. I think the the uh, the phenomenon is too broad and it's worldwide. And so we can only look at the cases we receive too. I tell my guys, um, we can only invest. It's like. FBI or the police department, we investigate cases that come to us. We don't necessarily like to go on the internet and start chasing all these stories that you see out there because we wouldn't be able to handle it. You know, that's why I necessarily don't focus on any other state. Uh, so cases come to us, 
We triage for the best cases we can possibly uh, investigate. And and out of those cases, we, you know, on occasion, we'll go to New Mexico, uh, Ohio, Pennsylvania, wherever, and take it from there. But I can't, you know, just looking at the big picture, I can't say one hotspot is better than the other, and that's where we'll focus. Mm-hmm. All right. So, and let's see, your website is? Uh, Aerial-phenomenon.org. Uh-huh. And that's where people can kind of find your cases and what's going on there? Yeah, sure. You know, it's a cool website. Uh, I, I kind of just stick to nuts and bolts investigations. There's no, like, elaborate photos of aliens or things like that, uh, you know. I kind of stay away from the um, national, you know, inquirer type of, of of websites. So it's just basic data, a lot of resources, um, and some kind of planetary science, you know, planetary science information there, like space phenomena, weather phenomena, uh, things that have kind of confused people for for UFOs. Mm-hmm. And I guess if you were to tell people, I mean. Um talking to the audience what would your advice be to them on to help out with uh, moving the the field forward i would say you know i'm not going to tell you not to you know uh concentrate on on things that have nothing to do with ufology you know that's not my goal you want to believe in chupacabras or or uh bigfoot and things like that that's totally cool but you know look at the ufo phenomena from a nuts and bolts perspective i tell them that uh do a little research also on, you know, space studies, you know, size of the galaxies and, and, and the possibilities of extraterrestrial life and things like that. And then put it all together and come to your own conclusion uh, of whether or not UFOs, some of UFOs are extraterrestrial. Mm-hmm. But I tell the investigator is uh, be careful of not going into the wrong directions. You know, we're, we're about looking for proof. Right. And you know what? I... Uh, you reminded me too in this discussion, and, and I think you may agree and, and have something more to say on it. Is that um, there's always an us and them type of feeling in this field a lot of the time. Sure. And I found it just extremely helpful um, when you kind of put yourself in the them shoes, whoever you perceive as your opponent or your enemy, and kind of see things from their eyes. And it's refreshing, and you can learn a lot from that. And then you can also learn how to. Do what you do better. Yeah, you know, and if you go to my web, on the website, it's got a, a list of resources. And, you know, whether it's MUFON, New Fork, whatever, uh, I list them in there because uh, I'm not about competing with anybody. I'm not here to be the next MUFON. Um, uh, I'm not here to debunk the debunker or whatever. I'm here, you know, my hope is part of the reviving ufology is to bring everybody together, work together as a team, um, and, and, that's important. You know, if the scientific community, uh, academia wants to take so serious, uh, we need to work together initially so um, people don't think that we're serious. And mm-hmm. there's too much infighting right now uh, when it comes to UFO organizations. Right. Yeah, agreed. Well, awesome. Thank you so much. This has been a really great talk. Um, it's been a lot of fun. And uh, hopefully people go to the site and get to know more about you and uh, check out your book. And uh, thanks again. Thanks, Alejandro. All right. Thank you so much for listening to the show again today. Uh, it's uh, been a lot of fun. If you want to go see some more about what Antonio is up to, you can go to aerial-phenomenon.org, and he's got all of his information up there, including information about the book that we talked about that he had written. 
So really interesting group, some interesting investigations that they're doing. So you'll definitely want to follow up with that. Otherwise, the news that we talked about earlier today, you could go find it at openminds.tv. Also, uh, we have our YouTube show, Spacing Out, which, of course, is on every other week. And there's a lot more news uh, stories on there. And then, of course, I want to thank the people that do the music. So thank you to Caleb Hanks for the opening music and Two Earth Minutes for the close. Join us next week for another great show. Thanks again for joining us, and adios, muchachos.